On Sunday mornings, they're talking about a series, or the series is called Just Like Jesus. And the purpose in that is to get us to think, um, we talked to, as our theme for the year is all in, and, and Just Like Jesus is designed to make us think about how to do that on a day-by-day basis. How to, how to emulate and to practice Jesus' example in our own lives. The key verse in this is 1 John chapter 2, verses 5 through 6. Uh, this is kind of the theme verse. The Apostle John said, But if anyone obeys his word, God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know, okay, catch this, this is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked. And that's pretty clear, as John often is. Uh, it, it's not hard to understand. If you're going to claim to follow Jesus, then you've got to walk like Jesus. You can't have a life that's inconsistent with what Jesus called us to live. Now, that does not mean, by the way, that we have to be perfect. Jesus was the one who was perfect for us. That is why his death on the cross means so much. But as we live in Christ, as we were raised to a new life, our goal is to walk like him and to live like him. So our goal in this series is to look at Jesus' life and to study it and think about how we can put Jesus' life into practice in our own lives day to day. A couple of things, a couple of lessons we've already talked. First, we said you've got to humble yourself as Jesus humbled himself, and then you have to be able to serve others as Jesus served others. So our text this morning is Matthew chapter 28, 19 through 20. I know it's already been read for you. If you don't know where Matthew is, turn to page 1072 in this brown pew Bible, and you'll get there. Um, Jesus said, Jesus came into them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the name and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. At Northside, we do a lot of good things. There are a lot of good ministries and programs and classes and, and challenges and ways to get outside the box. But above all those things, this is more than just a ministry or program, a, a short-term thing. We believe that disciples, followers of Jesus, are called to make disciples. Now, when I use that word, I have to always use this warning because the word disciple is a loaded word in the churches of Christ. And that breaks my heart. Because there are some groups who have taken the word discipleship and made it almost cult-like. In fact, there was a time when you could search on Google and you'd search Church of Christ and the very next thing that filled in was cult. Because a group in our fellowship took the word discipleship and made a man-made institution and hierarchy out of it. And that is not what we're talking about. So when I say we're using a loaded word, some of you hear discipleship and you instantly begin to bristle. You go, oh, no, that better not be that. Okay, what we're talking about here is biblical discipleship. Not man-made, not legalism, not cultism. A a God-centered, Christ-centered call to making disciples just as he made disciples. Now, we've got to understand, 
I know there are those here in the audience that have been damaged and seen the damage done by those who've misused and abused the term disciple or discipleship. And I apologize for that. The correct teaching, however, to the, the correct response, however, to false teaching is not to avoid teaching entirely, but to look at what the word says, look at what the truth says about making disciples. Discipleship is not a bad word. Unfortunately, it's been an abused word. So when you hear me this morning talking about making disciples, if you have a long history in Churches of Christ, uh, please understand that I'm talking about biblical discipleship and nothing else. Biblically speaking, making disciples is just as important as baptism, according to Jesus. Note there, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. That's all discipleship is. It's uh, the, the original word meant a student. We could also translate it as a follower. Uh, the, the, another way to think about it is followers, sh- everywhere they go, as they go, should be about making followers. To see ourselves as people who are on mission for the master, who have a sincere desire to see people go to heaven. Question this morning. It is a poll question. It will require you to raise your hand. How many of you believe in heaven? Okay, hands down. How many of you believe in hell? Okay, good. Uh, Both of those answers are in the affirmative according to the Bible. If you believe in heaven and hell and the reality of those two places, those two eternal destination, then we should take discipleship seriously. Now, I know you expect to hear that from the preacher, but this morning I, I want to hear from someone who's at a way different place in this world. He's not even a believer. He's an atheist. Uh, his name is uh, Penn Gillette, uh, and he is a famous magician. And maybe you've seen him on TV. I wouldn't recommend you watch him. But um, let's let's hear from Penn, uh, who tells us about something that happened at one of his shows and uh, how that impacted him. Okay, talking about there. this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we uh, we talk to folks and you know sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the um, what I call the hover position after I was all done. Big guy, probably about my age. Big guy, and um, he had been the. Um, the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so he had the props from that in his hand because we give those away. He had the or the joke book and the and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, that's uh, not worth explaining. But he had props from the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night, and he walked over to me and he said. Um, I was here last night at the show, and uh, uh, I saw the show, and I liked it. I wanted, and he was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. 
He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition. Um, I thought I said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New just part of the New Testament. little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like your show and so on, and then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave me that book. That's all I wanted to say. I'm not sure if you've ever heard a testimony from an atheist before. There were some several things that stood out to me about that story, and I, I wish I knew who the man was. I don't know who the man was who was normal and sane and polite and looked him in the eye and, and saw Penn not as an atheist and rid him off to the, wrote him off to the world, but instead saw Penn as a soul who at one time was made 
by God himself and was not too far to be reached by the blood of Jesus Christ. He was responding and fulfilling to this man that handed him the Bible. He was responding to Matthew chapter 28. Go, therefore. I presume this man had seen lots of Penn shows. He knew a lot about Penn. And he had the opportunity to meet him and be complimentary of him and then give him the most important gift that he could ever receive. Did Penn open that Bible? Did he read that Bible? Has he thought about it? I have no idea. But I do know that that Whoever gave him the man who gave him the Bible was fulfilling the great commission in part. He was planting a seed and that is what made an impact. You could tell, you could tell as you watch this man who claimed to not believe in God, who claimed to hate organized religion forever in his mind when he thinks of a discipler, of a follower, of someone trying to uh, do good in the world, he will think of this man. Maybe the seed was planted. So before we jump too far into this lesson on developing disciples, we've we got to make one clear distinction here because there's, there's two ways to think about developing disciples. The first is making disciples. Okay, When you lead someone to know Christ, the man who gave Penn the Bible was trying to plant a seed of God's word in his heart. And and for sure, undoubtedly it made an impact. But but this is the, this is something that followers that disciples of Jesus should be about seeking to share God's word, seeking to share the reason for the hope that you have with someone who does not have that kind of hope. Turn with me to Romans chapter 10. Paul writes there very clearly to this kind of making disciples. Romans chapter 10, verse 13, page 1213 in the the Pew Bible. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on those whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never Heard, And how are they to hear someone here without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We read Romans chapter 10 when it's time to talk about missionaries and the beautiful job that they do. That's good. We, we, we think about Romans chapter 10 and you think of a guy like me who preaches and you think, man, I, how beautiful are Toby's feet? That's exactly what you're thinking. But listen, this, this applies to all of us. Can I be frank with you? I, I know you know me as Toby. I just want to be frank for just a minute. There are people in this world that I will never reach people that you have the potential to reach every single day. People that are missionaries have not met, nor will they. But God has put you at the place where you work, working on that table beside that person for a reason. How will they know unless they hear? 
Maybe, maybe instead of looking at the preacher's feet, maybe instead of looking at the missionary's feet, you begin looking at your own feet and considering that God may have put your feet in that place for a reason and a purpose. All of us in Christ are in Christ because someone led us to Christ. And we got lots of people who do a great job of that. Uh, They are natural, evangelistic, disciple-makers. They always see themselves in the position of planting seeds wherever they are and wherever they go. Uh, Rob Doffs is one that I think of. He does this all the time where he works. Okay, He helps people. He's always seeing every patient, but he's looking to plant a seed and to help them to know Christ. Uh, Roy Helm has been sharing with me about how he's been uh, thinking about and praying for and and inviting people that he knows. And he's out as he goes and calls on different businesses, helping to plant the seed. Larry Risley shared with me some stories that he's of, of people in his own neighborhood that he's taken these Bibles to and shared them with because he wants them to know Christ, to grow in Christ. And there there's many others. My, my point is we all can do this. And there's people in your life that only you can reach. Now, the second way to understand developing disciples is not just making disciples, but maturing disciples. Not just leading someone to know Christ, but helping someone to grow in Christ. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, Paul said to his protege, Timothy, From what you have heard from me... In the presence of many witnesses in trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is the kind of work that Paul did with the churches. He didn't just make disciples, but he helped grow disciples and mature churches to be more like Christ. If we're thinking of planting a seed, uh, maturing disciples is watering the seed, feeding the seed, giving it sunlight, helping it to grow and mature. Uh, one example, we have several, but one example that immediately comes to mind is the Al's Titus II groups. Um, the older women, older sisters in Christ mentoring and, and building up and encouraging and teaching younger women in Christ. That's good. That's one aspect of maturing disciples. Which one is important? The answer is yes. Okay? A healthy church body and a healthy church family does growth. We d- does both. We make disciples and we mature disciples. So as we think about that this morning, I want you to keep in mind, this is planting the seed. This is sharing the Bible. This it may be with a neighbor, a friend, a co-worker, leading someone to know Christ. But it may also be this aspect of building up, encouraging, strengthening, and maturing other fellow believers in Christ. Both are important, both are needed. The first thing we need to understand is that developing disciples is a journey. It's not an instantaneous destination. There's the story that our Bible classes have studied in Acts chapter 8 of of, uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Acts chapter 8, about verse 26. And it's a, it's a fascinating story, and it's one that, that tells us there is a part, there is a place for planting the seed. And then, you know, if you're not familiar with the story, um, 
26. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go south toward the south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. There was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court of the official, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran over and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And he asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he read was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opens not his mouth and his humiliation. Justice was denied him who can describe this generation for his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and began with this scripture. By the way, it's from Isaiah 53 with this scripture. And he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were Going along the road, they came to water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Now, sometimes you have a disciple-making moment like that, where you just, you're there at the right place, you're, someone is wanting, either in the Word, they're, they're, you use that as an opportunity to lead them to Jesus, and boom, they just, it's just a matter of a few short steps, baptism, and just, and not even remaining around. Philip didn't even stay around. The Lord took him away. There was no maturing process going on. He just, he, he just led him straight to Jesus, taught him how to get into Jesus, and boom, Sometimes that happens, but more often you have what I call the Paul and Apollos moments, not the instantaneous, but the gradual work. First Corinthians chapter three, verse six, Paul writes, I planted Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Do you understand that there's a difference between what Paul did and what Philip did? One was instantaneous. The other was gradual. Both happen But gradual is probably the much more common one. Think about Jesus' own example of how he made disciples. Three years of walking with Jesus and seeing his example and hearing his teaching. In fact, the Jews at that time, when they would follow a rabbi, they followed him so closely as the rabbi would go throughout wherever he was journeying. The rabbi was up front and behind him dutifully was were the disciples of that rabbi following the rabbi. And they had a saying at that time that said, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi, meaning may you walk in the example that your rabbi sets for you. After three years of them following Jesus and three years of him leading, did he did Jesus get them to a place of perfection? No. Did he see the full final result of 12 mature disciples? He did not. In fact, one of those disciples left him denied him, and committed suicide. 
I tell you that to say it's a journey and it's not a perfect journey. Even Jesus did not have 100 percent success in the disciple making process, not because Jesus wasn't perfect, but because he's dealing with human beings who have free will. If you're discipling someone, whether you're leading them to know Christ or to grow in Christ, you have to keep in mind that they have free will in the matter as well. There's a an element that they bring to it. So we have to be patient. We have to realize it's a journey and that rarely do we see immediate results. The second thing we need to remember along these lines is that the journey takes time and patience. Leading people to know Christ and to grow in Christ is more circuitous than linear. Okay? Um, here, come here, Jack. <laughs> he was already volunteering. Hold this piece of string for me. Stand right over there. He's like, last time I come in late. <laughs> we think of discipleship sometimes like this. Hold it down for me there, okay? We think of it as, as linear, like it's a straight line. Like when become, a person becomes a Christian and they just ever increasing each Sunday, week after week, month after month, year after year, they get into a more mature relationship with Jesus. Discipleship does not work this way. Can I get it? Oh, yeah. Okay, it is full of ups and downs. It's like what your stock portfolio looks like this past year. Okay, ups and downs and moments of depressions, moments where you want to give up, moments when you're not sure. Go ahead and have a seat. Thank you. You moments when you just do not know. It is upward and downward, and sometimes it's all around. Sometimes it's backsliding. Sometimes it's trying to just beat through the frustration. Sometimes you're here. You might be here this morning, and you do not know why you're here. Because you're almost to the point of giving up. Because you look at people who are farther beyond than you, higher than you, who've done more than you, and you think, I'm just not there. Or maybe you're struggling with doubts and fears and worries and anxieties. You need to know that part of the of disciple making is, and even the disciple journey itself, requires time and patience. Not just with other people, but sometimes even with yourself. Think about it. Think about the Apostle Peter who preached the first gospel sermon, who was a leader in the early church. Did, did he go from being a fisherman straight to being a leader in the early church? He did not. You look at his all-too-human story about he was called and he confessed that Jesus was Lord, and then he, then he rebuked Jesus himself. Then he walked on the water and then he fell into the water. And he told Jesus he'd never deny him, and he, he did before the rooster crowed three times. You see, Jesus, Jesus following Jesus is not a straight line. It is an up-and-down journey. And if you're working with someone and leading them to Christ, I need to encourage you to be patient with them because it's not a straight line. And if you are in Christ and you're a little bit discouraged about, man, why am I here and, and how far can I keep going and how much have I stumbled, you need to know. It's not intended to be a straight line. So turn to Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in fulfilling his promise, as some consider slowness, but he is you gotta underline you gotta underline this because you you'll need to hear it someday. 
He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but that all should reach repentance. The Lord God is not waiting for you to mess up. He is just waiting. As fathers patiently wait for their children as they learn to walk, as they learn to read, as they learn to ride a bicycle. Fathers and mothers don't chastise their children every time they fall off the bike. They don't, they don't jump down their throats every time they stumble over a word or syllable as they learn to read. No, you're patient with them. In the same way, God is patient with you. He's not just patient with you, which is maybe what you needed to hear, but you need to know he is patient with all of his children. Did you stop and consider that he is patient with Penn Gillette? He's waiting. He's hoping that his heart will yield. And maybe it will. The nature of our Father is one that takes, it, that is patient. And so when we work with people, we have to have that same patience. Don't, please, don't give up on people. Don't say, well, I gave them the Bible once and I invited them to church and they didn't come, so I've done all I can. No, be patient with them. Do you know why? Because God, oh, praise God, He is patient with us. He's, how often has He been patient with you and I on the journey. So may we be patient with other people as we encourage them to get on the journey. The third idea about developing disciples is this. It requires both showing and telling. Now, when you talk about developing disciples, there are some people who are, you know, they're natural extroverts. They, they are, are always, they're very good with, with having the right word at the right time and saying it in the right way. And, and that's wonderful, but sometimes that makes the rest of us feel like, oh, I can never do that. I could never do what they do. Some people you'll say when you hear about discipleship, well, I just want to live a good example. I just want to, to, to live in such a way that I can do evangelism kind of by osmosis. They'll see how good I am and look at me and say, hey, I want to be like you. Maybe. But I think the focus is on the wrong person there. We have to have both. Think about it. Open your Bibles. Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, anywhere. Some of you have red letter translations. Okay, All that means is this is where Jesus said something. But also among the red letters are the black letters. Those tell us what Jesus did. We have the red letters and the black letters telling us both what Jesus said and what Jesus did. Maybe as a reminder for us that when we're making disciples, sometimes you got to speak up for Jesus. Oh, I could never do that. I mean, they might reject me. It might be socially awkward. You don't know the place where I work. You know, I, I could not argue with any of those things. But what I could say is Jesus himself said, whoever honors me. Before men, I will honor before my Father in heaven. You speak up for me, I'll speak up for you. But whoever sits there, quiet, just thinking, man, I, I hope they accidentally bump into Jesus. God forgive us. 
We're keeping our mouths closed. And we should be willing to share. Part of it is talking. Mark 16, verse 15. And you probably know that one as well. But Jesus said, as, um, verse, verse uh, 15, he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Imagine for just a moment, if one Sunday morning we get here, we, you know, we sing, we pray, Lord's Supper, offering, we do, do all of that. And then it comes time for, for my part, and I get up from here, and I go to here, and say nothing. Some of you think, man, I would love a sermon like that. That would be awesome. We understand. Aaron, buddy. Chick-fil-A, man. All right. Boy, he, he flummoxed me. All right, that's it. Let's go. We understand that my job, in part, is to proclaim the gospel. Now, I sure better be living it. I sure, that doesn't mean I'm perfect, but may I, you expect me to say something. Does that make sense? Imagine, imagine you where you are when you go to work tomorrow or go to school tomorrow and God's hoping, the angels are hoping, Jesus is hoping that he'll say something, that you'll say something because they really need to know this kid's on his last rope and he needs to know Jesus. I, I'm, I've got Gideon there. I know Gideon will say something. We, we expect someone to say something. Remember what Penn said, I have no respect for people who do not proselytize. Why? Because if you believe truly in heaven and the reality of hell, and all of you raise your hands, then why would we not say something? So it requires both showing and telling. And the truth is, the truth is, we all do this anyway. Because I've been scrolling through Facebook and I know that you all make disciples anyway. Oh, I know it's not always disciples of Jesus. Sometimes it's making disciples of a particular political party, but you're making disciples. Sometimes it's making disciples of a, a certain product, a, a, you know, maybe Tupperware or essential oils or, or whatever your business might be. So, I mean, we're all making disciples. Some of you tell me about your favorite team, you know, whether it's the Sooners or the Shockers or the Jayhawks, but you're going to tell me how excited you are about that. You might even wear your favorite team colors. Why? Why do you do that? You are making disciples. So... We do this anyway. True believers in anything not only love the product, but they believe in its value and they tell everyone they know about it. I've had some people ask me, my wife, is Toby serious about the Chick-fil-A thing? It comes up a whole lot. It's got to be just a gimmick. You know, he just kind of making that's his shtick. He's the Chick-fil-A guy. And she will tell you a hundred percent, I am a believer in word and deed testify. Do you understand that we all are believers and making disciples of some things? But the question is whether you're making disciples 
Jesus, who should be everything. Lastly, may we keep in mind that developing disciples is a team effort. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul refers to the church, not as the church, but as the body of Christ. And he says this as he describes all the different parts in verse 27. He says, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. See, we we all here understand that leading people to Jesus and leading people to maturity in Jesus is a team effort. Jesus started with 11. Those 11 that didn't reach the final perfection before he left earth would go on to be instructed by the Spirit and led 3,000 people just on the first day, day one, there at Pentecost. This happens still here today. You and I are involved in the process. I could tell you a story about Terry Robinson. Terry Robinson came to Northside, and she was familiar with Christ's teachings, and so she found Northside, and and she came to a new to Northside session, and she asked some questions, and we said, well, here's what Jesus said, if you're interested in knowing more about it. And so we connected Terry with another member, Kimberly Babish, and Kimberly and Terry studied together several times And Kimberly led her to Jesus and to understanding the importance of baptism and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so they, you know, Kimberly was leading her in that process. She was baptized into Christ. And then Terry began, continued to come to the Tuesday ladies class uh, where Angie Weber began to teach her and to fill her more and more with God's word. She's growing in that process. That, That had very little to do with the preacher. That's one story out of several hundred stories of people who work together intentionally to make disciples. Amy Dobbs is leading a Bible study right now at a coffee shop called Crossroads Coffee Shop Bible Study. What a wonderful thing to, to be seeking out people who want to study God's word and she's, she's keeping them focused on Jesus and on the words of Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, or however long ago, she invited Brent Davis. And Brent Davis came along into that Bible study, and he's working there. So it's a team effort. Sometimes we think, well, it's just me, and i got to go out there and knock on doors and win souls to Jesus all by myself. And that, that's not why God gave us the body of Christ. We all work together. We all have a, a part in it. Think about who it was that led you to Jesus. It was part of your process. When I, uh, when I think about my own journey, there was someone who, at age 10, invited me to go to church to a, a club called Awanas. We would play games and have snacks and memorize God's Word. Before that club, I had never even opened God's Word. I had never seen God's Word. I can remember coming home from Awanda's and asking my dad if there was a Bible around the house. Now, my journey did not start, it started there, but it did not stop there. When I became a little bit older, I wanted to learn more about Jesus. I, I believed in the reality of hell from what I had learned at Awanda's, but, but I wanted to know what to do about that. And so I sought out my grandmother who took me to church 
and began there interacting with teachers and preachers who taught me God's word. And then I wanted to begin following Jesus, so she took me to her sister who she and her husband led me to understand what faith and obedience to the gospel meant about being baptized. And, and then I had been baptized, and, and she said, now we've got to keep you connected with the church so that you continue to grow. And so she introduced me to Marvin and Janice Parkey, who drove me back and forth to church for two years when I could not drive myself, every Sunday, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. And as a process of being at church, I learned from a couple of good youth ministers, and that made an impact on me. And so I decided I wanted to be a youth minister, so I went to school at Oklahoma Christian, where I learned more from professors. And then I went to my first youth ministry job, and then on to coming here to Northside in 2001. And I worked side-by-side with Steve Tandy for a number of years, and Steve and my youth ministers and my professors at OC all helped me mature in Christ, and it's an ongoing process. Do, do we understand that this, that where Toby is today has nothing to do with Toby and everything to do with God working behind the scenes, bringing people into his life, putting the word into his life? You see, this, this is important to understand that the, the process is more God-guided and spirit-led. It is more organic than it is organized. Sometimes in the church we go, well, we've got to get an evangelism program. We've got to get a class and got a thing, and we've got to have the five levels, and we've got to have different things. We've got to have 101, 201, 301. We have all this stuff. And, and I'm not saying any of those things are bad, but, but don't leave out that God's still going to work if you and I will let him work. Our mission at Northside is to help everyone, regardless of where they are, and in, in just a few minutes, I'm going to invite you to respond to the gospel invitation. But you need to know I'm res- inviting you to go out and be disciple-making people and not just wait for someone to respond in here. We want to be intentional. And so the, to do that, I'm going to give you a threefold challenge as we close. Number one, write the name of one person on your handout, who does not know Christ. Family member, neighbor, friend. And then I want you to take a Bible with you as you leave today. Take one of these few Bibles and and pray for that person and pray for an opportunity to share them, to do for Penn what that man did for him and pray for an opportunity to plant the seed. Number two, write the name of one person you are helping to grow in Christ, to mature in Christ. And set an alarm, uh, send a text, uh, find an appointment for coffee or breakfast or lunch, and reconnect with them and say, hey, how's it going? And third is, write the list or the name of a few people who have helped you to mature in Jesus Christ. And send them a text, send them an email, send them a message, and thank them for being intentional about the purpose. One final practical resource, and I hope that you'll, a few will take advantage of this. On, uh, there is something called the Followers Make Followers Seminar. It's coming up on March 30th. It will be at the Riverwalk Church of Christ. Uh, Steve Rigel of Hope for Life and Herald for Truth 
he's going to be presenting on a very natural, conversational way to make disciples. So if you're here going, I could never do that. I'm just not a natural at that. Here's a resource. Mark your calendar for March 30th and plan to attend. Lunch will be provided. I can give you more details if you'd like to know. But um, we want everyone to be involved in the process of making disciples. This morning, if you are not a follower of Jesus, if you know that you need to believe in him and be buried with him in baptism, if you need to begin that journey this morning, I want to invite you to come here in just a minute. We're going to sing a song, and you can come, and our shepherds will help you to not only to know Christ, but to begin your journey with Christ at the waters of baptism. And if you are a disciple of Christ, but you have not been making disciples and you'd like for us to pray with you and encourage you and help you in any way, uh, please respond to the invitation this morning. Our most important challenge is, is that we make disciples, that we be followers who make followers of Jesus. If you have any need this morning, please come as we stand and sing.